In U.S. working forests, or forest land carefully managed to provide a steady renewable supply of wood for daily use, more than 1 billion trees are planted every year, and forestry experts protect and manage hundreds of millions of acres. Working forests have been sustainably managed for decades. How? It's simple. They plant more trees than they harvest. Learn more at workingforestsinitiative.com. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Private equity is one of these things that a lot of people talk about. It's become a subject of political conversation a lot. Uh, and almost nobody understands what it actually is, except for people who work in the industry. An exception to that is Emily Stewart. Uh, she's a colleague of mine here at Fox. Uh, she's a great reporter. Uh, she's up in New York. She understands politics, but she also really understands Wall Street and finance. Uh, so she sat down with me, really broke down what this industry is about, why it's controversial, what it does, what kinds of policy changes might help. Uh, you're going to learn a lot from this one. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Weeds on the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias, joined today by Vox.com's own Emily Stewart, uh, who is an author of many fantastic articles, uh, but recently one that, that I thought was really interesting and will be really interesting to The Weeds audience, and it's about private equity, which is a, a mysterious but also often discussed concept. Right. Well, it's sort of a thing that I feel like a lot of people— don't know a ton about, but you see enough headlines about it. Like, you maybe don't know what private equity does, but you know that Toys R Us isn't doing too well anymore and not around. Mm-hmm. Right. And there, I mean, there's been a few different things, right? It was like, there was like a Taylor Swift private equity controversy to like Elizabeth Warren has like a like a plan about private equity. And it's, it's often in the mix, right? Of like, like you may not care about finance, but like if politics, pop culture, retail, it keeps, like, intruding. Right. I mean, like, I even a couple of months ago was, like, looking for Payless shoes, and then I was like, oh, wait, it doesn't exist anymore. Like, that is because of private equity. And obviously, you see, like, a Taylor Swift, Elizabeth Warren, and, like, what the private equity industry will tell you is that this is a PR problem, but you look a little bit deeper, and it's not exactly true that this is just, like, we just don't understand how wonderful they are. Uh Right. I mean, it's a PR problem, but also a reality. uh, And, I mean, this assignment had originated, actually, right, because some editors from uh, The Goods Vertical, which uh, were were interested in sort of retail bankruptcies, right, That, that— sort of famous stores and and brands had gone away. And at least some people said that's because of private equity. Right. Or at least you see, you know, they're involved. So you have, you know, again, names like Toys R Us, you have Payless Shoes, you have Radio Shack. A lot of retailers have gone under and there have been private equity names in the mix. And so that was sort of how this all began. Plus, then you have Taylor Swift out there talking about Carlisle Group, which is also a big private equity name. And so there's really just been like a moment over the past several months of like, okay, what's going on? What are these people doing? And so one of the things that that I remember from when I when I wrote Moneybox for for Slate and uh, people had questions about hedge funds uh, was that it turns out that there isn't like a like a super strict definition of like what is a private equity fund, right? Like it's a it's a people in the business press like use the term and they have something in mind, but it's not like, you know, like this is a giraffe and and that's an elephant. Right. So, I mean, a lot of times we talk about private equity, like it's kind of a nebulous term. So there's also, you know, hedge funds in the mix, um, venture capital. But a lot of the time what you're hearing about lately, when people are talking about private equity, what they're really talking about are leveraged buyouts, which Mm -hmm. is basically I'm a private equity firm. I buy a company, like let's say I buy Toys R Us, but instead of buying 100% of Toys R Us, I kick in 30% of the money. And then the other 70% I basically acquire through loading up Toys R Us with debt. Mm -hmm. So then it's Toys R Us that owes that money back to creditors. I just owe 30%. And so then what kind of ends up happening is these companies have so much debt 
that they need to pay back that they can't invest in their business anymore. So like, yes, has it been hard for retail because of e-commerce? Of course. But if I'm paying all of my money toward this interest that I owe, then I can't make any investments to even attempt to compete. Right. So let's try to break this down, like how how this works, right? I mean, people have have loans, um, student loans often, which are which are very different from this. Um, but but home mortgages are, I think, a sort of relevant analogy, right? Like very few people have enough money sitting around in the bank to buy a house. Right. Um, and what you do is you put, you know. 10 or 20% down, and the rest you get a loan from the bank, and the loan is secured by the house, which means, like, if you don't pay what you owe, like, the bank can take your house uh, because houses are valuable. The bank is willing to lend you at a better interest rate. Um, And so a a leveraged buyout is like that, but instead of a house— you buy Toys R Us. Right. But then also the house owes the money and not you when you run out of money. Like, mm-hmm. that is what happens. Like, a house obviously cannot owe money, but Toys R Us owes money. Like toy, And when it's not Toys R Us owes money, but then eventually, you know, it is the employees that lose out. It's the company that eventually, you know, has to kind of disintegrate because the creditors are going to suck out whatever they can when the company goes under. Right. So it's like Toys R Us, it exists, it has shareholders, and it has some you know, value, right? Some some market capitalization. And then so you, the fund, come to the shareholders. You have, you know, a, an offer, right? Yeah. And you usually have to pay something above the sort of face value. And then you go to a bank or a creditor and you say, okay, Toys R Us shareholders say they will sell me the company if I get a billion dollars. If I kick in 200 million, will you lend me Eight hundred million, right? Except it's not going to be me. It's you're going to lend it to Toys R Us, exactly. And that's what happens. And then again, like if Toys R Us is trying to pay back this money, then it becomes really hard to make any changes to the businesses that they need, or you know, to hire more employees, or to try and build up some sort of e-commerce operation. And so eventually, they run out of money. And like a lot of times too, like these companies are already struggling. They're mm-hmm. not doing super well when a private equity firm swoops in. But it, it a lot of the time they fail, and when they fail, they fail really big. And, and so when you say not doing well, right, so a situation a company can be in is like it's profitable. Right. But the market seems to be declining, right? That in particular, right, so it's like more people buy stuff on the internet. Right. So the prospects for your store are getting worse. And then it's like the question is, okay, do you do you do something to like try to turn that around or do you just continue making money as long as you can, pay a lot of those profits off and then go bust someday. Right. And well, and what the private equity industry will tell you is that they're going into things that a lot they're taking on more risk than maybe like others would want to take on and that sometimes they're going to fail, but they're also giving these companies capital. So like if it is a public company that they're reporting their earnings quarter after quarter, they're saying that basically you have a little bit more time if you're private to try and turn things around and that they're really, they're they're doing the best that they can. And while I was reporting this story out on Toys R Us, one of the things I found was that PBS in 2010 had done a segment on basically why private equity is bad and is hurting people. And one of the examples that they used was Toys R Us. And a lobbying group had written to PBS afterwards telling them that you know they weren't as bad as they seemed, that PBS had been unfair, and that one of their success stories at the time was Toys R Us, which had been bought by three private equity firms in a few years before. And so obviously, like, at that time, they thought things, like, potentially would go better. Uh But obviously, that's not how it worked. Right. But people, there's a lot of focus gets sort of put on these these failures, right? And that can make the whole thing seem very puzzling because, like, obviously, you can't get banks to loan you money just to buy businesses that are going to go bankrupt. Right. I mean, yeah, you know, so there's there's a numbers game there, right? So like like how does it how does it work? Like how does this typically make money for the people involved? Because I mean, the Toys R Us story, right, is very sad for the people who work there, right. but also obviously you're hoping 
when you lend money to the private equity company, um, particularly because you don't lend it to the company, right? You you lend it to the acquisition target. So you're hoping that you're going to get paid back. Right. I mean, and it, I don't want to overstate that private uh-huh. equity fails every time. Like Blackstone, not that long ago, um, had helped turn around Hilton for like $14 billion. Like there is money to be made. And obviously, like if there weren't money being made, investors wouldn't be kicking money into private equity firms either. Um, it is, like, it's not the worst thing in the world. Again, like I said before, basically the problem is sometimes when it fails, it fails big. But also there is an issue of a lot of the time, at least these private equity firms, they're making money anyway. They Uh are charging a 2% management fee a lot of the time to investors. So they're at least making enough money to stay afloat. And then when it does go well, they have to hit some sort of a hurdle rate. So basically, they have to return a certain amount to their shareholders, a certain percentage. But then afterwards, when it goes well, they get 20% of that through carried interest. So there's a lot of money to be made here. And so the the risk is worth it to them. Uh-huh. And they don't hold the sort of most fundamental kinds of risk. I mean, they'll say, well, okay, we have a lot of capital at risk, right? But if you just work someplace— Right, and then you lose your job. That's like a, or if you're a town, right? That's like built around a factory, and then it closes. That's like a more. It's like it's like a more humanly profound form of risk than like, well, I had a lot of money at stake in this because I'm a rich person who has enough money to have a lot of money at stake in things. Right, and also like if you are, I mean, I think again in the case of Toys R Us to keep bringing it back to that, but the. The firms that had invested in that probably made their money back anyway just because they held on to it for so long and mm-hmm. through through management fees. But obviously, yeah, like if you are – I don't know. I mean like obviously you're a pension fund or you're an accredited investor basically. I mean you're a rich person investing in a private equity firm, you know, investing in a fund. Like you – have some money that you can lose. And obviously, you don't want to lose your money, but it's, mm-hmm. like you said, it's not the same as, like, well, I don't have a job anymore. Right. And so we, we should explain this, because so from a regulatory standpoint, whether your business model is leveraged buyouts or venture capital investments or, or hedge fund stuff, what sort of unites these companies is that they, they've raised their money from what's called accredited investors. And what does that mean? Most of the time, like in layman's terms, that means you're very rich. So to make it a little bit more specific, it's either that you have a net worth of $1 million or you make $200,000 annually on your own or $300,000 between you and your partner each year. So you're, you're well off. And basically the point of an accredited investor is to say, you can afford to take some risks and lose money in a way that, like, somebody making $50,000 a year should not be. Right. So this qualifies you as the fund. If all your money comes from accredited investors, you are put under a much laxer regulatory constraint on the theory that if you just steal these millionaires' monies, uh, like, we don't really care. Right. And, And private equity firms will also raise money for funds from, like, pensions or sovereign governments or institutional investors. But basically, they're playing with money that can, like, afford to be lost. Right. And supposedly, pension funds and things like that have have sophisticated managers who know what they're doing. And and whether that's actually true or not, I think is a big, is a big question, right? I mean, because part of the way these funds make money is they make investments that pay off. But part of it is they charge very high management fees. Right. I mean, these guys, like, if you're a partner at a private equity firm, you are, you're making money. Like, if you raise, like, a, two, whatever, a $2 billion fund and you're taking in 2% of that and splitting up amongst the other partners and obviously other fees that you have to pay and taxes and whatever else, that's still a lot of money. Right. And it's so, but I think people have raised some pretty big questions as to, like, does this make money for the investors in these funds, actually, right? I mean, obviously— it has right. at some points paid off. But like on average, are the returns actually worth? Because you you pay what, like 20% of the investment gain and then 2% of the total? Right. Yeah. So you're, I mean, you are paying a lot of money and there is a question, but obviously like if you're a pension fund, you're also probably diversified. I mean, Hopefully, your pension. <laughs> if it's not like I don't know, call someone to do something. But yeah, I mean, hopefully, like part of the answer, you know, part of what people tell you is like interest rates are really low right now. So like investing in like bonds and treasuries is like not super high yield, like things like that. And so basically, 
a pension fund is kind of like a part, or I'm sorry, a private equity fund is like part of the investment mix right. that a lot, of, a lot of these people are doing. And in the sort of best version of it, right? I mean, if you're doing private equity PR, you would say, okay, well, we come in, right? We take you, it's called private equity because you, um, you go out of the public market. And so now, away from the day-to-day scrutiny of like stock market craziness, I can come in with my managerial expertise mm-hmm. and like we make the company better. We, we, we're turning these companies around. Right. And like I spoke with Eileen Applebaum, who's an expert on this, she's an economist. And, you know, what she said is the most successful private equity firms and funds are the ones that you never hear about. They're real small. They don't make a lot of noise. So it's not like the Bains. It's not like the KKRs that everybody's heard of. You know, they come in and they have real small expertise. You know, they know a specific niche. They know a specific area. And so, like, yes, like, maybe they know just about biotech or just about healthcare, or just about grocery or whatever. And they're just buying really small, like, family businesses that maybe just don't have the expertise to, like, scale up or, like, take the next step in their business. But we don't know what they are because they're not, you know, they're not shouting it from the rooftops. They're not uh-huh. telling anyone. They're just kind of raising their funds as they can and making their money as they can. So that's sort of like so. So Eileen Applebaum, she's like a, I, I would say, known as a private equity critic. Yes, but this is her sort of attempt to give give their due to the concept, right? Right. But she's saying, okay, so like a real turnaround shop would be small and focused, and like we know a lot about right whatever fishing rods, right. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of even the bigger firms will tell you that now, like, they're more organized among different industrial verticals so that there is expertise. But there's also a situation, and I found this a lot in reporting on, like, finance and Wall Street, that everybody will say, like, maybe the industry is bad, but they specifically are good. Uh And so, you know, the guys at, you know, I mean— you know, the guys in private equity will tell you that they're good, but really the problem is the bank that's, like, doing the lending. Or the guy at, you know, Blackstone will tell you, like, he's doing the right thing, but, like, the guys over at Bain maybe are not. And so there's also, like, just an awkward—like, and I think that's just human nature, but it Everybody. definitely is a thing that happens. Okay, let's let's take a break and then want to talk about some of the, the specific companies in this mix. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media, pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context, and it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot-button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. In U.S. working forests, or forest land carefully managed to provide a steady renewable supply of wood for daily use, more than one billion trees are planted every year, and forestry experts protect and manage hundreds of millions of acres. Working forests have been sustainably managed for decades. How? It's simple. They plant more trees than they harvest. Learn more at workingforestsinitiative.com. So you you mentioned a, a few names, Blackstone, uh, Bain, KKR. Uh, Bain, I think some people recall from Mitt Romney's presidential campaign. Um, what, what are the sort of biggest players in this industry? I mean, those are really the ones that you named that people have probably heard of. So like Blackstone um, is associated with Stephen Schwartzman, who's a big Trump guy. Um, you have Bain, which everybody knows because of Mitt Romney. They were also involved in Toys R Us. Same goes for KKR. Carlisle Group is another big one um, that was run by David Rubenstein, I 
think he's still there. I'm not sure. Maybe. But <laughs> um, so, I mean, there are bigger ones. And a lot, and, you know, a lot of these are publicly traded now, which doesn't mean that you're investing in the private equities fund, but you can, like, invest in a stock that tracks how things go for them. But you're not putting your money into, like, the big money fund. Right. Because they then, like, raise funds that do the thing. And it's all – so I think what, what some people have, have told me as there's, like, big – big picture criticism is that really most of this isn't about like improving the real operation of the company, but it's, they'll say the phrase financial engineering. Like what, what does that mean? I mean, basically it's just like, how do you make as much money out of this as possible? How do you make as much money for your shareholders and for yourself as possible? So whether that's like going into a retail chain and saying, okay, like this these, like this store, this model doesn't work anymore, but hey, we have all this real estate we can sell off. Or you know, spilling up the company in different ways or you know, doing basically whatever you can to kind of make enough money and then either be able to sell the company off in parts or sell it off as a whole, you know, wind it down, whatever you need to do, but basically to extract as much out of it as you can. Right. And this was the sort of like selling off of parts of companies was, uh, I think, a big narrative in the in the 80s. Um, this is... It, People have are, uh, fans of Pretty Woman. Um, this is what Richard Gere is doing mm-hmm. there. Um, and he supposedly learns that he should uh, seek higher aspirations in business uh, th- th- than this kind of thing. Right. But the idea is that, like, a company, it can be, like, more complicated than you might think. Right. So, I mean, one thing I, I remember is um, Yahoo. You know, most Americans knew from, like, Yahoo stuff. They had email. They had fantasy football. Uh, But Yahoo also had investments in, like, some Asian companies. And those Asian companies had become very valuable. So a lot of the value of Yahoo's stock was bound up in the value of those other companies in a complicated way. And then basically there was was just, like, this idea that, like, if you unwound this, it would actually make more money for for shareholders, right? right? So private equity can do a lot of that. Right, like not not analysis of like how do you run the business, but analysis of how's the business structured. Right, and then that happens in public markets too. Like you hear of you know companies like spinning off like a subsidiary, or I mean like if Google like Google could theoretically spin off YouTube, they're not going to, but they uh-huh. could, <laughs> or right. the government could make them. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of what it is. I mean, basically, it's just like you buy this thing, and like how can you make money off of it? Right. And how, how could you arrange it to be more sort of shareholder optimal? And and there's one reason private equity matters is because the threat of takeover impacts how businesses operate when they're not under private equity management. Right. right. That like like before leverage buyouts happened routinely, there was like one style of running companies, but this is connected with, like, now how public companies are run, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're a public company, too, you risk, like, an, an activist investor buying up, like, a part of your company and coming in and saying, all right, you got to do these five things to make me happy. And also, by the way, give me six board seats and, like, get rid of your CEO or whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Like, this is generally how capitalism works. And because, like, we are in a system that we really just value, like, the main point is to make money for your investors and to make money, you know, for your board or whoever else, like, that's just how it is. Yeah, so activist investors are, I think, sort of conceptually related to this, right? But the difference is an activist investor, I guess— normally doesn't buy the whole company. Right. They're just investing. Like, I mean, they'll just buy up like a part of a publicly traded company. And it depends on how big the company is. But you can buy like 3% and then do that. I mean, a private equity firm really comes in and you, have the, you know, they buy like a big part of it or sometimes a, a bunch of private equity firms will buy a company together. And that's called a club deal where like mm-hmm. a few of them will pick something up. I think a while back, like there was some speculation that someone was going to buy Walgreens and like one firm probably isn't going to buy Walgreens, but a few could. But basically, we don't see those deals as much anymore because, like, pension funds will tell you or anybody who is a private equity investor, you have, like, a less diversified portfolio. So if you have, like, money in, like, KKR and Bain and they both invest in the same company and it goes poorly, you lose money in both. Right. So that's counterproductive to what the investors, like, wanted. Right. I mean, you were saying, like, well, this is capitalism. Like, like this is how, how it is. Um, and I think, I mean, I remember when I was talking 
with with Elizabeth Warren and her team about the Accountable Capitalism Act and stuff. And part of their idea is that, well, you know, it's not like America had like gone communist in the 50s and 60s, but we didn't have finance playing that same like incredibly prominent role in the management of companies, right? So it's like private equity is like capitalism at its most, like capitalism-y. Right. And, and what she and others have proposed is really setting some rules of the road with private equity that, that doesn't get rid of private equity entirely, but it makes it a lot differently. So basically, if I'm a firm and I invest in a company and it does go bankrupt, I don't get to just walk away and say, well, that's too bad, like that I'm actually on the hook for some of that debt that that I've put onto the company mm-hmm. that I have to do something for the employees who have lost their jobs. How viable it is that this is going to become actual legislation sure. is unclear. I was talking to an associate who is at um, a, like a conference a few months ago, and he had told me that there had been a slide about Elizabeth Warren's plan, and they laughed about the idea that they would be on the hook for debt. So, like, these guys aren't, like, terribly concerned. But does that mean they, they laugh because they don't think it'll uh, – because they, they know this can't pass. Right. right. They right. know there's no way. But, like, if there could be, like, some more oversight, but there just really isn't. And especially now, like, we have been in this world of, like, shareholder primacy since the 80s, and this is kind of where we are. <laughs> and so, I mean, the, the thing about being on the hook for the debt, right, is that – Basically, when companies become more indebted, like you don't, it doesn't have to be private equity to to create this situation, right? Like the management of any company could decide to, and sometimes they do, to like take out big loans and then flush out extra cash in a dividend. Uh, but they often don't because it it just puts you more at risk. Right. And, and, like, debt is not bad for companies, especially right now. Like, interest rates, rates are low. Like, you, if you're a, a any corporation, like, you probably want some debt on your balance sheet. But you don't want so much debt that literally you cannot do anything else but right. try and pay off your debt. Just, like, as a normal human being, if I have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt and I can't pay my rent, well, like, there we go. And in a traditional explanation, right, if I'm trying to do, like, debt 101 and, like, why is it okay to go into debt? I would say, like, well, you know, sometimes a company needs a loan to build a new factory, right? Sometimes you need a loan to go to college, right? And you're investing in the future. And the thing about the private equity-style debt is that it's not— for that purpose, right? It's just, it's to make the purchase. Right. Well, and I was talking to a friend of mine who works for a private equity-focused publication. He was saying, like, even you see how analyst notes will change. Like, when, I don't know, like, a private equity firm first, like, buys, I don't know, like, an oil company or something or an oil field. Like, at first, the analysts will be like, Yes, like they have this debt, but they're going to make this much money so they can definitely pay it off and also will be you know, having enough to invest and turn around. And then like a year later, the analysts are like, actually, like they don't have enough money. <laughs> like even that, like there's this optimism at the beginning and whether that is because the analysts just don't know what they're talking about or something else is going on. But like over time, if you are just kind of like constantly on a sinking ship, you can't dig yourself out, then like, well, you got to make change or right. you got to shut down. And, and this relates to, I think, people's sort of larger perception that like what finance is doing is not what we have wanted a financial system to do or like what people would have most traditionally sort of explained like you know yeah i don't know you're like trying to tell kids like like why are there banks like what is this for and you would make a lot of stuff about like loans and investments and 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 blah 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 um whereas this at least seems very abstract yeah and i mean it- it's just hard to tell. I mean, I was talking to a woman who worked for Deadspin, which is the sports website that has basically has not published anything since November. And they were taken over by a private equity firm earlier this year. And she was saying, you know, first they came in and they were telling us they weren't going to touch editorial, but, you know, 
the business side, they were going to turn around and it was going to get better. And then she said, you know, the more that we spoke, the more it was like they had just done no research on what the business was, what worked on the website, what didn't, what got traffic, what didn't. And I think that is sort of an issue that happens with private equity a lot as well, or at least in some people that you talk to, is that these firms will come in and not really know what they're buying. Like Carlisle Group, which is one of the firms that has funded the the record label that Taylor Swift is feuding with. Like, these guys didn't know that they were, like, walking into some giant fight with Taylor Swift. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and that's also part of the problem. Right. And obviously, Vox Media's investors are all Yeah, lovely. everybody knows. We, we love Thank them. you. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are great. Um, but it's the other ones that are bad. Um, and, and this is something that— um, a long time ago, I think Larry Summers wrote a, a paper about breach of faith in, in leveraged buyouts, right? And so one one thing that you see, like, in the editorial, right, is that people who work in the media business, I don't know, like, if you look at an employment contract at Vox or anyplace else, it's, like, it doesn't say that much. Yeah. It's like, you're going to come here and write some stuff and we're going to pay you some money and, and whatever. Um but if you work in the business, like if, if if you work in the industry or if you work at this company, it's like there are tacit understandings of like, like what are we doing here? Like right. what, what is our purpose, right? And like a notion that people are trying to have fulfilling careers, that you, w- you wouldn't invest in a company unless you thought you would make money, right. but just you wouldn't go work in journalism unless you had like a passion for it on some level. And like the bosses to be effective need to respect that on some level. But you can come in and like legally speaking, just be like, no, fuck all that. Right. Right. And there's like money to be made in the short term by exploiting the gap between like people's tacit understanding of like how how life is supposed to work and what your real legal obligations to people are, which there just like aren't a lot. Right. Well, and it's not like, you know, if, I don't know, somebody else buys Vox tomorrow. It's it's not like I get to walk out the door and be like, oh, I don't know. I don't like you guys anymore. And I definitely have a new job that I can get just tomorrow by, like, snapping my fingers. And so you kind of, like, you're stuck in this situation of, like, okay, please, like, private equity gods or whoever else. Like, the owners of my business, keep me employed. Right, right. And it's like I could draw up, you could draw up a, like, dumb economics model that's like, well, if the new owners treat the employees poorly, then in a competitive labor market, they'll reallocate to the blah, 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 blah. But like in the real world, it's hard to change jobs. Right. And I think a lot about the people at Deadspin who kind of resigned in mass like last fall. And like that is like a great amount of solidarity. But also I cannot imagine how some of them probably would have felt a week or two later being like, holy shit, I just quit my job. And the media market is very difficult to find another job in right now. And when they did it, right, it was like a big story. Right. And there was a lot of, like, supportive tweets and and there were takes and stuff. But then, okay, it's three, four, five weeks later and, like, the world has moved on. Right. To, like, you know, snake emoji controversies and, and, and whatever else. And, like, there you are, right? Like, it's... It's a brave thing to do because the downside is very real. Right. Like in a tweet is not going to like pay my rent or my phone bill or whatever else. That right. things that I owe money to all of the time. And it's just not a rapidly growing, you know, industry, right? I mean, the, 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 the good news for like America is that the labor market is a lot better today than it was like four or five years ago. But it's often not that good, or it's not that good in particular industries or in particular places, and you're kind of stuck. Right. Well, and, like, again, to kind of circle back to private equity, they have, I mean, some of the industries where you know the most of private equity being involved are industries that already are not doing great. So, like, local media and local Mm -hmm. journalism, retail, like, there's, I mean, it's like, so if you lose your retail job and that's your experience, it's also, you're in kind of an industry that's already not doing great. Yeah, and often the private equity contribution, I mean, I I feel like you've really seen this in in media, is that instead of it being that the private equity comes in and they, like, help try to turn the company around, it's that the private equity comes in and they are completely unsentimental about the business. And so instead of, like, putting up the good fight and lasting for 20 years in a declining industry, they're just like, all right, let's, like, 
sell off the paper clips. Right. And, you know, hire, you know, a bunch of 22-year-olds who I can pay zero money to to, like, do some SEO stories and try and game Google and let go of everybody who's been there forever. And right. And you, and you, but, but it's like you soak it. It's like you figure no matter what we do, this right. newspaper is doomed. Yes. So instead of trying to do our best, yeah. we'll just spend as little as we can, soak the existing subscribers for as long as they're alive, and, mm-hmm. like, walk away, right? And it's like, and it's like a, a newspaper guy just, like, wouldn't do that. Right. But it, it takes a private equity person to see it so clearly. And I guess they would say it, it's good to have capital deployed more efficiently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is what they would say. Like, I mean, that this is the system that we live in. What are we going to do? Right, yeah. So, okay, let's, let's take a break and, and talk about, I, I want to talk about big, big ideas. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, you tell me you didn't want to talk about neoliberalism, uh, but you just wrote a story about it. And to me, this is like the the core of it, right? Not not that private equity like owns every company, but that the concept behind private equity that like companies should be managed more unsentimentally and like just purely with an eye for money for shareholders, like that is at the core of like modern society. Right. Well, it's just that, like, this idea that, like, of course, we have to, like, help poor people sometimes and, like, put up some guardrails for, like, consumers and the environment. But, like, broadly, the markets will compete away problems. And, like, if a business doesn't make sense anymore, well, like, that's just too bad. They couldn't compete. And also, like, businesses will compete away racism because bias is not profitable. Like, that's sort of the broad theory here, if yeah. you were to buy into that. Yeah, and it's that, like, more efficiency will, like, always be good, right? And the, and the private equity companies, like, that's what they're all about, right? It's like, you sh- your company should be running more risks. Like, you should be carrying more debt. Like, you're being too afraid of spectacular failure. Right, and, like, that... I mean, kind of like, well, the other stakeholders in terms of, like, the community or your workers, like, we don't care, but also efficiency would theoretically be good for them as well. I mean, it's basically it's just, like, market efficiency fixes almost everything. Right. And it's this kind of, like, utopian idea that, that well, we're going to have—I I mean, I guess the promise of this all, right, going back to the 80s was, well— if you make everything friendlier to investors, there will be more investment, right? right. And that's going to mean more growth and more jobs and higher wages. And uh, and it's all worked out great, right? I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, that's why I have 85 internet bill providers and, <laughs> and it's fine. And, like, I don't call to try and talk about my cable bill and they tell me, like, you don't have any other options. Like, of course we have all the options and there's not consolidation. Everything's great. Um, no, I mean, like, obviously, like, ha- had – I mean, it hasn't worked. And maybe it's because we haven't done enforcement around things like antitrust and competition or been taxing people high enough. Like, there are plenty of answers. But I think anybody can, like, 
look around and not feel like big business or like businesses in general have like saved our lives. So, but like, what would you do though? I mean, what's a, what's a sort of, what's a different way of thinking about this? Cause you know, we talked about, you know, Warren's proposal, you know, make, make the companies sort of hold the the risks that they're, that they're carrying. Um, but like, what's a, what's the sort of like vision behind these kinds of ideas? So I wrote up this set of papers that came out this week from the Roosevelt Institute, which is um, a progressive think tank, basically talking about, okay, so like if we say that neoliberalism did not work, if we say that the markets have not fixed everything, like what would work? And they came up with a, you know, a bunch of different proposals. And like, just for some examples, you have taking a different approach to antitrust enforcement. Basically, what we've been doing in recent decades is saying as long as prices for consumers are not going up, then it's fine. And what's Mm -hmm. happened is, like, a ton of consolidation. So, like, if you think about how many big telecommunications companies there are, there are not that many. And Sprint and T-Mobile are about to merge. If you think about, I mean, basically just anywhere in your life, (laughs) Uh it seems like there's a few big brands. So, like, that's a problem. Or, you know, like, we have this sort of sense that, like, competition among businesses will— you know, just kind of, like, make prices lower. But, like, if you look at health insurance, clearly your health insurance bill is not super cheap. So, like, what Mm -hmm. if you had, oh, I don't know, a public option for health insurance? Uh But you could also do a public option for plenty of other things. So basically saying the government can compete against business itself. Some of this has to do fundamentally, though, with with sort of treatment of workers, right? That, I mean, I think a lot of the private equity— pushback comes from out of the the labor union space. Um, And the sense is that, you know, a a sort of relentless focus on profitability and and capital return is like inherently bad for for people's working conditions. Well, yeah, because if your company wants to pay its shareholders and it doesn't want to pay you, like every dollar that it's not paying, you know, every dollar is paying you is money. It's not going to its investors. And so, I mean, I think you know, at Vox, we just unionized, and that is, like, exciting for us. And I think that's why you see a lot of people, like, now talking about, like, a rebirth of unions a little bit more and giving workers more power to negotiate and to say, like, hey, you have to, like, pay attention to us in this broad scheme of, like, all these cha- all of these stakeholders that businesses have to deal with. And this is interesting because, you know, I mean, I, I always remember uh, vividly when, when I was sort of new in D.C. and I was having a conversation with a, a guy who, you know, went on to be a very influential economic policymaker in the Obama administration. And he, I was saying something to him and he was like, well, what you have to understand is that like the labor share of national income is just the same all the time. And we can't actually impact that. Um, and that's a very, I mean, that's like a, like a, like a nerdy, you know, it's, it's sort of an obscure point, but it, like, it's a profound idea, right? Like if you believe that is true, then unions and everything else are just kind of pushing money around from one group of workers to another. But I think it now looks to more people like, no, right? That like there's a struggle like between workers and owners for money and that private equity is like a a powerful contender in that struggle. Right. Or if you have, I mean – this is not the case of private equity, but if you were to have workers at the table in boardrooms, like, making decisions, they would probably make different decisions for the businesses than if it is just a board of directors, like, at any typical American corporation. So, yeah. I mean, workers will obviously, like, if I have to make a different decision between, like, if I get a dollar or whoever has invested in Vox gets a dollar, like, I want the dollar. And, I mean, the studies I've seen of uh, sort of co-determination in Germany so that, like, when workers get voices at companies, they're managed more conservatively, right? So it's the opposite of the, like, debt load thing. Because actual people who work someplace, I mean, they like money, but they also, like, put a premium on, like, let's not all lose our jobs, right? If you're an investor, you can be more, like, quote-unquote, objective about the risk or see it purely financially. But, like, there are more dimensions to life than that. Right. I mean, like, there's also a world where you, I mean, like, yes, it's more conservative. Like, a worker would maybe run the company more conservatively, but they're also thinking a lot longer term, maybe. Right. Like, maybe the business 
well, would be around in five years <laughs> versus if like investor is just thinking about, you know, making whatever return he or she wants. And that's the difference between like money and people, right? Because if you're if you're a dollar and you're like, well, okay, I've got ten dollars and they're spread across ten companies. And if two of them go bankrupt, but others were you know, are, are profitable, then like I'm doing fine. Like what's right. the difference? One company's in, one company's out. But if it's your life, right? right? I don't know. It's like if like journalism went away. Like we could, we'd maybe get jobs doing something else. Yeah. But like, I'd be sad. Yeah. And like, I I mean, like, I don't know what my job would be. Right. <laughs> I don't it's not like I'm going to go be an engineer, but maybe I should have been. I don't but know. Yeah, I mean, it would be very alarming, right? Like, it would be terrifying. Like, you've lost your job. Like, what if you have to move? Like, what if you have to eat? Right. right? It's like stressful. There's all, there's all kinds of non, like, like we work in part because we get paid. Right. But there's like more to it than that. To us. And right. there's nothing more to it, to, like, the sort of investment zone. Right. Well, that's, like, I mean, again, like, that's what capitalism is, basically, <laughs> like, in a nutshell. I don't know. Like, yeah, like, it basically, like, it's just, I don't know how to even put it. <laughs> <laughs> it's capitalism. It's it's yeah. it's rule by capital. Yeah. Right? Which is which is what 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 it is. Um, so you were telling me that, that, you got some feedback on your article, and people said that that you were making them sad. Yeah, well, so like two types of feedback. Some that made me sad. Like I did hear from people writing and seeing, like, I lost my job at like this grocery store. I lost my job to a private equity firm, which was like really hard to hear. And then I did have a lot of you know guys working in private equity saying like we feel like we are good and we do help and there is a lot of upside and like i'm not saying there's not upside like clearly if there were not there would not be billions of dollars in this industry mm-hmm. and so like i hear that <laughs> i know <laughs> that they i mean like and i'm not saying like it's the end of the world like that they are all the worst people in the world and, and, like, what they will tell you, like, anybody in the industry will tell you, like, we are trying our best to make money. We are often taking on risk that no one else wants to take on. And, like, we are hoping that things go well. And when they do not, that it's not our fault. And you hear about them because a lot of times when they go wrong, they go wrong in a very big way. But it is, to me, one of the weirder things about finance is that these are very well-paid jobs. But the people who have them seem to also, like, really want everyone to like them. Right. But also, I mean, like, to be honest, like, in, like, who probably gets the last laugh here of, like, me working in journalism or, like, 25-year-old guy working in private equity? It's, like, probably him, like, in terms of, like, finance, right? Right. Um, But, yeah, like, they, I mean, again, like, everybody wants to feel like they are doing a good, or they want to say that they feel like they're doing a good thing. I don't know. Like, if you, if you bankrupt a company and you lay off a bunch of people, I don't know that, like, even, like, in the rosiest of ways of thinking about what happened, like you would feel good about that. But what they will tell you is that it is not intentional and that they go in with good intentions every mm-hmm. single time. Right. But I mean, I, I do think, I, I mean, if, if we have if we have finance guys here in the audience, it's like you should think about it because like really the the purpose of the industry is to say that, well, you need to take these structures and like optimize them more for the interests of their equity owners. And like, is that a good thing, right? Or like, is what you're doing, like compromising the non-financial benefits of important social institutions, you know, for personal gain? Because uh, that's, that's what it looks to me like they're doing. Um, and, you know, it's not it's not the worst thing in the world. It's, it's not the same as... Um, say, just, like, killing people to take their money. Uh, but, like, it's it's really not great. Right. And, like, you know, sometimes, like, they really, maybe they do turn the business around. They do um, create more jobs. Like, I've seen some research that says when it's a private-to-private deal with private equity, like, they will create jobs. But when it's a public-to-private, they do not create jobs. And in the meantime, like, what does any of this mean for anybody if you lose your job tomorrow? Like, it's just... It depends on how you define optimize. Like, are you who optimizing it for who? Like, uh, are you optimizing it for, like, this rich guy who already has a million dollars in the bank or, like, the person making $10 an hour on the sales floor? And it also just seems so antithetical to, like, a, 
a traditional model of like what is like what is business like right. you're not inventing anything you're not building anything really you're just kind of screwing around with other people's operations i mean maybe that's sometimes maybe that's unfair but like maybe it isn't right like if you're if you're buying up you know distressed newspaper assets and then just coming up with ways to fire people like that's like that's really different from like starting a visionary media company that you think will succeed and like you can say you have good intentions but it's it's hard for me to see the good intentions yeah and and you know if again like these companies have all of this debt all of a sudden like i think it's sometimes hard to make an argument that you're trying to invest in the long term when, like, all they're investing in is paying off their interest payments plus dividends sometimes to the managers. Like, if I can't, like, even try to improve my business, like, how can you say that this is, like, a positive situation? Right. And it's, like, the the positive would have to be that the, like, global efficiency of capital allocation is going to help someone somewhere. And I don't know. It seems kind of dubious. Yeah, I don't know. This whole thing, <laughs> it was really, like, fun to learn about and report out and be like, yay, Taylor Swift and Elizabeth Warren. And now it's just like, well, I don't, I mean, like, again, like, with all of the people who have felt like this has been unfairly portrayed, it's like, ultimately, like, you guys got a lot of money in the bank and all these Toys R Us employees that don't have jobs do not. So I don't know. So with that cheery thought, uh, <laughs> thank you so much, uh, Emily. Um, you know, any uh, angry, angry finance guys out there, uh, come to the Weeds Facebook group and uh, let us know about the incredible things you are doing uh, in the in the world of, of equity allocation. Um, so thanks so much. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, it's a great topic to, to take on. Uh, thanks to Malachi Brodus, our engineer, uh, Jackson Bierfeld, our producer, and the Weeds will be back on Tuesday. In U.S. working forests, or forest land carefully managed to provide a steady, renewable supply of wood for daily use, more than one billion trees are planted every year, and forestry experts protect and manage hundreds of millions of acres. Working forests have been sustainably managed for decades. How? It's simple. They plant more trees than they harvest. Learn more at workingforestsinitiative.com. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.